Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Cast, a weekly podcast from the canon, an espionation blog dedicated to your Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm your host, PD, and this week will be the last week for a long time that we don't really have any news to talk about. Uh, it's September, it's hockey month, hockey things are happening, the uh, ice has been installed and painted at Nationwide Arena, that's sort of the first sign that it's really happening. The hockey really is coming up close. Um, the players are coming back to town. Patrick Line and Yonis Corposalo were at the Cincinnati Bengals game on Sunday. Cole Sillinger was at the Cleveland Guardians game on Monday night. Threw out a strike for the first pitch, for the record. Um, this weekend, we have the Traverse City Prospects Tournament. Uh, we have a stacked lineup for, for that tournament. Really excited. Uh, about the players that we've got there. So I thought, though, that I would take the chance this week to do another mailbag, and you all responded with some great questions. So we'll start with one about the Traverse City Tournament. This comes from Maria DeVito. She always comes through when I ask for mailbag questions, so thank you, Maria. Uh, Which 2022 draft pick are you most excited to see at the Traverse City Tournament? Personally, I'm curious to see how LDBB does and if they play him at center. So she's talking about Luca Del Bell Belouz, who was our second round pick. He is a um, he was the first center that we chose uh, in this year's draft. Uh, you know, I wanted them to take one in the first round. They didn't do that, but they got him, and he was a a late first round grade on a lot of mock drafts, a lot of scouts lists, and we got him in the mid second round. So he's a very interesting prospect. Uh, I do think that they will play him at center. Um, unlike a guy like Ken Johnson, I don't see any ambiguity here with Del Bell Blues. He's got the size for it. He has been playing center consistently in juniors. So uh, I think that's what he will play here. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see him just because I haven't seen him play really at all, aside from, you know, some highlights. Um, so that'll be good to see. You know, I, I don't expect a ton from him here because I think he's still a developmental prospect. He's still several years away from turning pro, Uh, but it'll be good to see him. For me, 
I am most interested in seeing the players who I feel have a shot to make the NHL roster. Last year at Traverse City, Igor Chenikov and Cole Sillinger really stood out in a positive way, and they were able to carry that momentum into training camp in the preseason. So I want to see some players do the same thing this time. Obviously, number one on that list would be Kirill Marchenko. He is one of the older players in the group. He's 22 years old. He's been playing in the KHL for several seasons now. So he's a seasoned professional. So this is a tournament that he should be able to dominate. I mean, if you look at what Chitikov did last year, and he just had one year in the KHL under his belt at that point, so I think Marchenko should be able to do something similar to what Chinikov did. The next one, obviously, Kent Johnson. You know, we'll see if they maybe try to play him at center in this event. My guess is, though, that he will play wing like he has been playing at Michigan for the Jackets, for Team Canada. But he's another one who, based on the way he dominated the World Juniors, he should be able to dominate the competition at this tournament, uh, which should be less of a challenge than playing the top junior teams in the world. Uh, and then finally, David Yurichek. Um So in terms of 2022 draft picks, he was the first one we took off the board this year, and he is the one who is closest to being NHL ready. I still think it's an outside chance for him just because there are so many other right-shot defensemen that already have NHL experience that are on the roster. So it's going to be hard for him to leap those guys. But but he does have a shot because he is already big and physical, has a lot of NHL-ready skills. But I think he might be a year away. It's just a question of whether he goes back to Europe for a year or whether he goes to Cleveland. So we'll see. And I think... How he does in this tournament against this kind of competition will go a long way to determining whether or not he has a realistic shot in training camp to make the roster. You know, based on what we saw in World Juniors, where he was he was okay but not outstanding. That's why I think he's not maybe not quite ready. I want to talk a little bit more though about the defense for taking to Traverse City, though. Uh, let me just go down the list here. Denson Matejchuk, Marcus Bjork, David Juracek, Samuel Kanashko, Cole Clayton, Stanislav Sposal, and Ole Bjorkvik-Holm. This is, this is basically like the Cleveland Monsters defense that we're taking to this prospects tournament. Um, Matejchuk will not be playing for the Monsters. He still has to play in juniors. Um, David Juracek, you know, we don't know. But, you know, take Canasco, Clayton, Sposal, Bjorkvik Holm, and then throw in Jay Christensen, Tim Burney, Billy Sweezy, um, Marcus Bjork then, um, who he's he's 24 years old. He's going to be 25 this fall. He's been playing in Sweden. Like, he's an established pro. Um, so he's a guy who, again, based on his experience, you would expect him to dominate this kind of competition. Um but again, it's such a crowded blue line in Columbus already. I don't know that he can make the team, but he's got a shot. 
But if not, then he's going to be in Cleveland. All those other guys are going to be in Cleveland. Maybe a guy like either Nick Blankenberg or Gavin Bayreuther might end up down in Cleveland. Um, so there's going to be a lot of options for, for Trent Vogelhuber and his staff uh, in terms of how they make match those pairings up um, in Traverse City and then in Cleveland. Heck, some of these guys might end up spending time down in Kalamazoo. So Kalamazoo's going to get some really good defenders. Um, so it'll be good to get an early glimpse of that. Um, so the Monsters could have a much, much improved blue line, just a more talented blue line this coming year. And that's really, really exciting. Um, a couple other players that I might be interested to see. Um, Martin Raishavi, um, he had a pretty good tournament for Czechia at the World Juniors last month. Uh, he's going to be back in Moose Jaw this year with uh, Denton Matejchuk, so good for those guys to be teammates. Uh, Michael Pitya from, uh, you know, he had a great year in Finland, especially in the playoffs, and the fact that he's competing in this event uh, I think there's a good shot that he plays in Cleveland this year. Uh, he's he's on an ELC now, so I think the Jackets think highly of him now. Uh, the final 2022 pick that I'm interested to see is number 69, Jordan Dumay. This is a guy that put up over 100 points last year. He's undersized, so he's probably a few years away, but, and you know, people don't seem to love his size or his skating ability, but like, Man, if he finds a way to score at that rate, I think he could be a special player. So he didn't do much at development camp. So I'm hoping that he can make a better showing here in Traverse City. So those are the, uh, that's what I'm looking forward to this weekend. Those games will be streaming uh, on the Blue Jackets site and on their YouTube page. Uh, I think most of the games are afternoon starts, which is unfortunate. We will have a full uh, preview and open thread that will go up on Thursday at jacketscannon.com, so be sure to check that out and follow along with us as we watch those games this weekend. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Our next question comes from Andrew Dickinson. He says, if you had to choose a sponsor patch for the jersey, who would it be and why? So 
I have mixed feelings about our jersey sponsor patch at this point. On one hand, I'm annoyed with Safelight because they, you know, bought the sponsorship for the jersey, and then they bought a sponsorship for the field at Ohio Stadium. So now there's a Safelight logo on the field during Buckeyes games, and that's just the just rubs me the wrong way. Um, and I feel I just feel like Safelight is already a very ubiquitous brand. I mean, like I just say Safe Light, and you're hearing the jingle in your head right now, right? You're hearing the Safe Light Repair, Safe Light Replace. Like, we we know this brand already. Like, do they really need this extra advertising? Um, but as far as these sponsor patches go, um, they're a <laughs> lot better than some other ones I've seen. the The first team to announce a jersey sponsor uh, was the Capitals. And they're sponsored by some sports book. And I'm really annoyed by sports gambling and how much it's being advertised. It's really kind of sickening. So I'm glad that we're not going that route. And then I saw a picture today of the Canadians are being sponsored by RBC. And the logo is like a blue crest with a gold lion and the letters RBC on it. So it's just the standard rbc bank logo but that blue and the yellow it kind of clashes on the standard home uniform for the for the habs you know and it's which i talked about last week it's such an iconic jersey and i don't know so the the sponsor patch really sticks out on there and i i dislike that so to safe lights credit from what we've seen of their patch on our jerseys, it's it doesn't really stick out too much, you know, because it, like it's just white lettering on the blue jersey, and presumably it'll be either blue or red on the white jersey. So it'll it's able to blend with our existing color scheme, which helps. So that's relatively inoffensive. I do appreciate at least that Safe Light is a company that is headquartered here in Columbus. Um, ditto for DSW as one of our helmet sponsors. Um, you know, if we're going to have sponsorships, I do think that they should be companies that have a local connection. Um, so others that would, obviously Nationwide is one you could do. Um, but that could be overkill, seeing as they already sponsor the arena. Um, maybe something like White Castle. You know, their headquarters are just down the street. Um, Wendy's obviously another local company. Um, there's no shortage of, of, you know, companies that have headquarters here now. Um, even ones that are just have big offices here, like JP Morgan Chase or Intel with their upcoming facility. Um, so something like, like those rights could be good, but in any of those cases, I would want to see the logo be similar to Safe Lights in being very low-key, just basically wording, not too much in the way of designs, and be either in colors that match ours or a logo that can the color can change so that it fits our color scheme and doesn't clash with what we have. Next up from Bucket Hat Kyle, 
Why do I continue to cheer for Ohio sports teams when I know they will inevitably just break my heart in the end? Do I enjoy pain? <laughs> so, uh, Kyle here, I believe, is a Bengals fan. Um, so, he's obviously still smarting from their loss on Sunday. Uh, painful overtime defeat to the Steelers. Um, so, to paraphrase President John F. Kennedy uh, when talking about the space race, we root for Ohio teams not because it is easy, but because it is hard. Um, and I know I've written about this before. I think I've talked about it in the pod. You know, for me, with sports, um, a big draw for the teams I root for is the local connection. I root for the teams that are from Columbus, that are from Ohio, because they represent our cities and our states and everything. like That's the draw for me, that kind of civic pride. So... I'm not rooting for teams because they're good. I'm rooting for the teams because they are my teams and that, that I hope that they become good. And it just so happens that a lot of Ohio teams ha are teams that are either bad or when they're good, they break our heart. But there are exceptions, and I feel like the... The suffering makes the triumphs worth it. Uh, you know, as an Ohio State fan growing up in the 90s, you know, I saw them lose so often to Michigan, and that was so heartbreaking. But as a result, when they then dominated Michigan for the last two decades, I didn't take that for granted at all. Um, I enjoyed every single victory because I knew how precious those victories could be. Um, and on the flip side, you know, Michigan not only lost to us for a decade straight, but often lost badly. And so for them to finally beat Ohio State again last year, you could tell that it was so cathartic for that team and for those fans in the stadium. Um, and, you know, for Ohio State under John Cooper being good a lot of years, but falling short, um, you know, that made it so much more special when Trestle's team broke through in 2002 and you know for after then after the Trestle's downfall in the 2011 season you know for Meyer to come in and have that 2014 championship you know I think about fall of 2017 where we found out the crew was going to be relocated to Austin and the Browns were in the midst of a 0-16 season like that was that was a dark time to be rooting for those teams but then three years later in the fall of 2020 the crew stays in Columbus and wins the championship and the Browns make the playoffs for the first time in 18 years and not only do they make the playoffs they win a game and it's against the Steelers and not only do they beat the Steelers they drop 28 points on them in the first quarter and again, it's that catharsis to just so many years of frustration and that rivalry to break through and finally have some success. It it just it hits so much better because of all that suffering. So that's the that's the silver lining to to the hardship as you're going through it as a sports fan, is that things will get better at some point. And it's a much, much sweeter reward because of what you've gone through. Because, you know, 
not to say that you can't still enjoy the win when you jump on as a bandwagon fan. You certainly can. But it helps if you know the team's past. You have a better appreciation for the present and the future. I like to be able to see the narrative of a certain roster where, oh, this is how this team has been built up from a low point to a high point now. These are the players that got drafted and developed, and then the team made moves to bring in these other good players. And I think we're seeing that now with the Jackets. So for as hard as the 2021 season was, you look at the roster now, and you look at all of these really exciting young players that have been added just in the last two years. You know, if you look at our top 25 under 25 countdown, over half the list was added just in the last two years. Um, So we've added so much young talent, and it's really exciting to see where they go now. And then the way that we've added an elite sniper like Patrick Laine and an elite just all-around forward like Johnny Goudreau. That's super exciting. So I don't think it's inevitable that this team will break our heart. It's not to say there won't be some heartbreak along the way, but in the end, it could work out really well. And you don't have to enjoy the pain, but just know that the pain makes us stronger and uh, it will be better off in the end. And our final question, because I asked for questions not just about the Jackets, but about anything else. So Tom Burns comes through with a college football question. He says, do y'all think Nebraska ever wins 10 games again? Uh, and it's very appropriate that he asked this question on Scott Frost Day of all days. Um, yeah, Nebraska will win 10 games eventually, just over the next couple years, probably cumulatively. Now, will they win 10 games in a season again? Um, I think they probably will. There's no reason why they can't. Um, If you look at the other teams in their division, uh, a number of them have hit that 10-win mark very recently. Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, even Northwestern. If those teams can do it, there's no reason why Nebraska can't, given the resources that Nebraska has to put into their program. I think they do have a some recruiting hurdles based on their location and everything. They can't build a roster the way that Tom Osborne did back in the nineties, you know? So Nebraska is never going to be a national power again, but there's no reason why they can't still be competitive in the big 10, not at Ohio state's level, just because Ohio State has some advantages that Nebraska does not have at this point. But I do think it just takes the right coach and some patience to get them to the right spot. I thought Scott Frost was going to be that coach. I mean, here he is. He was a Chip Kelly protege, much like Ryan Day. He had success at Central Florida. He was an alumnus of the program, so he's understood the culture in Nebraska. I thought it would give him a long enough leash, but things, it just wasn't working out, you know, and Nebraska was 
close in a lot of games last year and again this year. But, and it, you know, for a, a season, if you're losing a lot of close games, you can say, oh, it's bad luck. But over multiple years where you keep losing those close games, I think that reveals that there's something deeper wrong with the program. And I don't know what it was. I don't follow him closely enough to know if it was his coaching or, or what. But um, at this point, he was starting to get his players in, and it still wasn't working out. Um, so I don't know where they go from here. Uh, I don't know what coach would want that job, given the unreal expectations that they have. But, um, you know, because if they talk about, like, names that have gotten thrown out there, like, you know, Lance Leopold. Well, he just took the job at Kansas, and yeah, Nebraska should be a better job than Kansas, but like, you just took that job, do you want to jump again to a job that is no guarantee, whereas at Kansas, at least there's no expectations there, so you've got a bit of, you know, time to build that program. Uh, You know, someone's mentioned like Mark Stoops. Why would Mark Stoops leave Kentucky? He's got a perfect situation. He has built a top 25 program there, and it doesn't matter that he's not going to win the SEC. That's not the expectation there. He's in a perfect situation. So, uh, you know, I don't know. They'd pr- probably have to go the route of just taking a coordinator that wants a head coaching job, maybe some guy that's been passed over for a lot of head coaching jobs, and give him a shot and just give him time. And, you know, keep expectations reasonable that you're looking for a coach that's going to win eight to nine games consistently. And then on a good year, maybe he wins 10 or 11. But that's that's the new realistic expectation for Nebraska. Not, oh, we need to be competing for the Big Ten title on a regular basis because that's just not the world of college football in 2022. All right. So thanks, everyone, for submitting your questions. We really appreciate that. Uh, again, stay tuned this week at jacketscannon.com for coverage of the Traverse City Tournament, and I'll have a recap of that tournament posted on Monday. Uh, next week on the podcast, I will have a guest on from our sister blog in Calgary to talk about Johnny Goudreau and Eric Goodbranson and all the stuff that the Flames did this offseason. Um, next week, we will also have our usual set of posts uh, breaking down the trading camp battles at every position as trading camp starts midway through next week. And then we are just under two weeks away from our first preseason games. Can you believe it? We are that close. So I'm very excited. I know you're all excited. So stay tuned for all the coverage as we, as we talk about what's happening and get ready for the season. So thanks a lot. We'll catch you next time. For more content from the Canon, go to jacketscanon.com. You can also follow the Canon on Facebook and on Twitter at CBJ Cannon. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Perley and the Howlin' Moons. Go to AngelaPerley.com for more music and show dates.